We're going to have a great time the next couple of weeks. I get, uh, you know, y'all need a psychologist more than just one week a year. You understand that, don't you? And so uh, this year we got a little ahead of schedule, planned a little better. Uh, so next weekend we're going to be doing Sunday services. We're going to help you a lot, but we can't help you a lot on Sunday because you got to sing and do all this other stuff, and that's fine. That's what you do in church. But then that night I'm going to get two hours. And we're going to help you understand yourself while you're, and then understand other people. Y'all, you've always wondered why you're so normal and everybody else is so weird. I mean, you've always wondered that, haven't you? I'm going to teach you why, uh, that you're as weird as everybody else, and that we're all defective. We've all been recalled by our maker, but we all have these areas of life. Most of you go through your whole life and never really understand yourself. And it uh, makes the life not a lot of fun. So we're going to have a lot of fun. I've done this thousands of people. Uh, companies pay me big money to do this, and I, and I take it. And because uh, 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 it's, you know, God's money, so we need to use it. And, but you're going to get it for free. Your church is investing in you to do that. So you want to make sure you do not miss next Sunday night. Now, we're going to have a lot of fun, but you're going to learn a lot of good stuff, uh, especially you guys. I know guys, you know, your ego's a little big, and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, well, we know how insecure you are if you don't come, you understand? Uh, so you need to show up, invest in your, be the, one of the best investments you can ever make. Now get your friends to come. Your friends, uh, they, don't, they don't go to this church, but you have, to, you have to classify your audience. If they're Christians, don't tell them I'm a psychologist, all right? They don't trust psychologists, you know, but they trust pastors. You say, uh, this pastor is going to be helping us with relationships. Uh, you tell them, he's a pastor. Now that for if they're not Christians, don't tell them I'm a pastor. They don't trust pastors, okay? Uh, they trust psychologists. So you just say, I got this psychologist coming. He's going to be able to help you. And then you invite them to come. And they will not regret. Remember, I, I don't have dog-tired Christianity. I got hot dog Christianity. It's, it's, the good news is always good news for me. And so we're going to have a good time doing it. Uh, you will uh, bring your friends, bring your neighbors. Uh, and then uh, if they're 12th grade or more, then bring in, people can come individually because you need to understand, and especially if you're single, you know, you're never going to get anybody until you figure out how to do it. You just understand other people. And so, especially if you're a guy, you, you, you know, single men go into the state hospital a lot more than married guys They're in prison. So you just keeps you out of prison in the state hospital coming next Sunday night because you'll figure out how do you, how do you find somebody, all right? Now, okay, enough about that. We've got to talk about a little something different today. I uh, uh, speak at a church a lot uh, in the Dallas area. I, uh, a, lot of t you know, a lot of churches I go to every year, like here. And so he had a Sunday open, and he said, I want you to come. And I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? And uh, we talked about a couple of things. And he said, let me go to my staff and ask him. And the staff came back overwhelmingly. I want you to talk about anger. All right? Now, pastors need to talk about anger. <laughs> uh, we all need to talk about anger. Now, uh, I, I've written a book called Comic Belief, and I couldn't, we finally found one. Ken, Ken had one. And uh, so you, you, if you don't have this, by the way, you need to get this for Christmas, just a commercial plug there. Uh, good and angry. When a golfer was asked why he bought a new putter, he said, the old one didn't float. <laughs> we live in what some people call the age of rage. What about your anger? Do people call you old faithful at work not because you show up every day, because you blow up every day? 
Getting angry is like leaping into a fast sports car, gunning the motor, racing down the highway at high speeds, and then discovering the car has no brakes. That temperamental personality becomes about 90% temper and about 10% mental. You get the Jim Carrey syndrome. The madder and madder you get, the dumber and dumber you act. Anger is like a loaded gun. It's very powerful. If you're careless, you will hurt not only yourself, but you'll also hurt others. Keep your cool in battle. Don't lose your head, or you'll have no place to put your helmet. Uh, anger can also be your ally if it moves you from apathy to action and energize you to do things you wouldn't normally do. The emotion of anger can lead to the right motion if you control it and not let it control you. Our nation was, was born when 56 patriots became angry enough to sign the Declaration of Independence. We're going to talk about anger in the end, how it fuels your faith, and you'll be able to be energized to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Let's just get personal. How many of you have been mad this week? How many just got, just got mad this week? Okay. Uh, it's a pretty good crowd. Uh, most, you know, most Baptists lie. Uh, uh, you're pretty good. Uh, how, how many of you are mad right now? Let's just let's get a little bit you know. <laughs> A little more personal. How, how many are mad at the person beside you? Let's just do this. Uh, anger is with all of us, and so we want to deal with it. His name was uh, his name was Ralph. I call him Ralph the Rock Thrower. Ralph was in the bed one morning, and uh, he had put some new wood shutters. They put it all around his house, and he was awakened because a woodpecker was up there just beating his wood shutters. You know how woodpeckers do just beating his brains out with his head against that, you know. And he's so mad he can't believe it. He goes out and he sees that woodpecker and he starts throwing rocks. Just, you know, just, you know, probably what guys do, a few words and throw, throwing rocks at, uh, uh, well, let me just ask you, how many of you have ever hollowed at an inanimate object? Any, any of you ever done that, you know? Uh, your pastor's hollered at a golf ball. I mean, he's the pastor of this church, you know, uh, the pastor of this church. He's hollered at a golf ball. Uh, I've actually hollered at a lawnmower. I'll just be honest, I've hollered at a lawnmower. How many guys have ever hollered at a faucet or anything plumbing? You know, yeah, you got, you have. We're all, we all got it. Well, Ralph had it. He's a guy. He's throwing rocks at it. And he realizes, I'm missing the woodpecker. Where are these rocks going? So he immediately, you know, he's in his bare feet anyway. He runs around the house, and his cars are just mutilated with these rocks that went over the house into his car. He gets so mad, he hits the tire with his toe, breaks his toe, and he's in there sitting in the den with his toe elevated and ice on it, and his little son comes in and says, is mommy going to put you in timeout for this? <laughs> well, sometimes we feel like we ought to be putting timeout. We didn't grow up. Well, how, how do we handle this thing? And so uh, let's, Psalms chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Be angry. So when we talk about it, it's okay to be angry. It's gonna, it, it can fuel, you can do things, it can fuel it and do without adrenaline things that you wouldn't ordinarily do, but you've got to do it the right way. Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Uh, Ralph the rock thrower should have spent a little more time pondering in his bed before he got up and let his temper control him. See, anger is an emotion, and emotions fuel things, and you do things that you couldn't ordinarily do because physically the adrenaline gets going. Uh, there's a word, we'll talk about it even more next week when we talk about communication, called psychological. 
And this week, next week, I want to make sure we break it up into two parts so you can understand the difference. And it's called psycho, and then it's called logical, all right? And anger, that fuels psycho, all right? Uh, if you stay in your bed and consult and think about it a little bit, you can actually do logical things. But anger is a psycho thing that we do, and you're, what you do while you're angry, if you're not careful, it'll end up being psycho instead of logical. So, how do we deal with anger? We'll take that word, A-N-G-E-R, and we'll just see uh, how far we get. Uh, first of all, you have to admit it. A lot of people... Uh, they, their halo's on way too tight. You know what I mean? They think they're spiritual, they're holy, you know. And they would, I don't get angry. I don't get angry. Yes, you do get angry, you know. I don't, I'm not angry. Yeah, you ever seen somebody, their veins are puffing out, you know, they're, they're, you know every, everything about them, their face is turning red. Are you, are you angry? No, I'm not angry. You know, I don't, I'm a deacon. I don't get angry. Uh, uh, well, don't spit the grass to catch on fire. I mean, you are angry, you know. Uh, you got it all in there, and if you don't do something with it, it's going to start to control you. So I, I, I tell people all the you got to face it to fix it, all right? You got to get it out there first to realize we got this issue that we have to deal with. So first thing is we, we admit it. Uh, and it, and if, you, if you're born in this world, you, you're, you, you've got anger. And, and then we pass it down many times to our, our kid, one kid uh, uh, a little, little boy looking at the bathroom scales and the, and the kid said, what is that? And he said, I don't know, but it, it, if you get on it, it makes you really mad. You know, and so uh, uh, we, we let things control our anger. So first you got you to admit it. You got to admit it. A stands for admit. N stands for nourish. What happens is we feed our anger. We nourish it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. When I was in private practice, a patient say this. The more I thought about it, the madder I got. You know, any, anybody ever? Now, remember this is a little therapy and church, all right? Uh, so, uh, how many ever thought that? The more, <laughs> yeah, you just, the more you, the more, you just get madder and madder. Uh, so, who's generating that anger? You. You're, you're generating that anger. You know? uh, had, when I was in Albuquerque, I'll never forget the newspaper had an article about this guy who was so angry because they, uh, he, would, he lived on the, uh, the, what we call the wet side of Albuquerque. It had the mountains and trees and stuff. Uh, and uh, it's a beautiful area. But he has drive by and go to work, the, the mountain area, and they put a cell tower where he could see it on his way to work. And he, he called the newspaper to complain and said, this is the ugliest cell tower I've ever seen, and, and they need to take it down. And, and, and then he said this, same thing. Every time I see it, it makes me so mad, it destroys my whole day. Destroys my whole day. Now, first of all, notice he called the newspaper on his cell phone to complain about the cell tower. You see, now, that's your Adam suit. We want what we want. We just don't want anything else that we don't want. You see, we all want what we want. We just don't want what we don't want. You know, the world's a Ponzi scheme. The world says you can have this without that. You can't have this without that. You want a cell phone? You got to have a cell phone tower. All right. Now, uh, 
Of course, the world is a Ponzi scheme. You can't have this without that many times for a short period of time. But by the time that that shows up, you're addicted to this. But I don't, that's a whole different sermon. Don't get me off on that. Uh, but uh, just have to give you a little balance there. But we nourish our anger. We feed our anger by these constant thoughts. And so we admit it. We nourish it. And then we, G stands for get it out. You got to get it out. It's there. And so it's called catharsis, psychological term. Nothing wrong with it as long as you realize it's just a symptom. You're not dealing with a real problem, but you're helping the symptom. Uh, and so get it out. Uh, actually, exercise is the magic bullet. Any, any psychological problem that, that we talk about when I'm here, exercise is the magic bullet. Every research study that's done with people, for example, like people who are depressed, and some people say depression is just anger turned inward. Uh, uh, they can, you can have all kind of groups, psychotherapy group, you know, lay on the sofa, talk about your mother, because, you know, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. And so uh, talk about your mother, uh, or you can uh, uh, have cognitive therapy or have an a, a antidepressant drug or have a placebo, because, you know, placebo is powerful, sugar pill. Actually, placebos probably do better than anything, uh, because you think it's helping, and it's all in your head anyway. But anyway, uh, so... Uh, and they'll have a, an exercise group. And the exercise group gets better on every area, I promise you. So you need a regular exercise program. Now, some of you holy people, you know, spiritual people, you know, yeah, well, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Well, that's because they walked everywhere they went, okay? They got, uh, uh, oh, oh, okay. So, uh, but I, I've dealt with you people all my life, so it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's okay. I understand. Not in the Bible. I understand. Just understand this. All truth is God's truth, okay? All truth is God's truth. You know, uh, penicillin isn't in the Bible, all right? I take it, all right? Because God allowed us to discover it, okay? Uh, glasses aren't in the Bible, you know? But, okay, so you understand. Okay. Don't get me off. Got to continue. Don't get me off. Okay. Nourish it, get it out. <laughs> this, this isn't very healthy, but I'll just tell you. Uh, uh, when I was a pastor, and talking about people giving me a hard time, I'd put my, the deacons that really didn't like me, I would put their name on my golf ball, you know, because it, it just made me feel better. I mean, just boom, you know, just knock them out there. You know? uh, hit it in the water, didn't really bother me that much, you know. Uh, that, that's, that's just me, I wouldn't, you know, that's just getting it out. Okay, uh, get it out. Get it out. Next thing is A-N-G-E. Uh, evaluate. Evaluate what is, the, what is this anger doing to you? What, what, what is happening because of this? I uh, ran across a story about a lady. She was an uh, elderly lady but very wealthy lady, and she, uh, she lived at her house, and her, and her nephew lived with her, and the nephew was just, you know, didn't work, didn't, you know, just living off her, and was just, but it wasn't even grateful, just treated her, you know, ugly, and, and so she went to the grocery store every day and bought enough groceries for that day, and then she'd go back home the next day, come just enough for that day. So finally the manager said, ma'am, you know, 
we know you're not getting around that good and you have to come to the grocery store every day. Look, we, we, we can actually uh, give you a week's worth. You know, we can, we can you know, what, whatever you need. We can help you. We can take it out for you. You know, whatever you need. You, you don't have to come here every day. She said, oh, no, I, I, uh, one thing I like to get out, I like to get away from my nephew. And another thing is, my greatest fear is I'm going to die and leave a refrigerator full of food for him. And I just want to get one day's of food every day so nothing will be left if I die today. Now, you see what that cost her? See? Trying to, you know, instead of dealing with the anger, and, and we're going to teach you later, for hopefully we get to it, how to be assertively, you know, agreeably assertive and saying, look, you're not living here anymore. You know, this is my house and you're not working, you know, this, you know uh, because I'm giving you unhelpful, harmful help, you know. But, but no, we, we just let the anger control us instead of we're controlling the anger. My, uh, my dad used to tell a story about two brothers that uh, uh, inherited a store, and they ran the store together. And one day, uh, one brother was out of, out of the store, and the other brother was in the back of the store. And uh, one brother had put a, uh, a dollar bill on the cash register, just didn't have time to stick it in there, just put a dollar bill on the cash register. And then he came by a few minutes later and it was gone. So I asked his brother, so where's that dollars on the cash register? He said, I didn't see a dollar on the cash Yeah, there was a dollar on the cash register. He said, no, I didn't see. And they started arguing over this dollar. Well, it just escalated. You know, how, you know how that does. And they got so mad, they end up splitting the stores right down the middle. You have your store, you have my store. 20 years later, a guy comes in and says, look, I've I, I become a Christian, and I did something It's almost 20 years ago now. He said, no, I walked in this store, and nobody was here. And, I, you know, maybe somebody, I didn't see anybody. There's a dollar on the cash register. I, have, I just took it, and I, and I walked out. I left. And he said, I want to pay the dollar back, and I want forgiveness. And the, the guy said, you, you don't have to pay anything back. I want you to go next door, and I want you to tell that guy the same story you just told me. And he went next door and told that same story. And as the guy left, he looked back, and there's two brothers crying and hugging each other. You see how it can just escalate? You see how pennies can be more important than people? You know? And that's why, by the way, Jesus says the love of money is the root of all evil. Families get so angry sometimes about pennies instead of Focusing on people, so you, you, have to, you have to evaluate it. And then R stands for realize that there's a way that God wants you to handle anger. Here's what it says in uh, Proverbs 19:11: The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Let me tell you how to have great mental health. Just decide to overlook something every day. Just overlook something. Just overlook it. Somebody does something to you or somebody cuts you off or somebody else, just overlook it. Just intentional to say, that's the kind of life I'm going to live. I'm the kind of guy that overlooks things. Why? Because God's the kind of God that overlooks everything in your life. Everything. So just decide to overlook the Bible says the glory of a man is that he overlooks a transgression. Ecclesiastes says it this way in verse 
8 of chapter 7. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. It says the end is better than the beginning. See, anger is impatience. We want it, and we want it right now. Your Adam suit does not want anything later. Remember, your Adam suit does not want to act better. It wants to feel better, and it wants to feel better right now. That's all of our Adam suits. It's a struggle with you all your life. It'll be a struggle, too. God gives us a new Adam suit, a uh, new suit in heaven. It's always going to be there. So we want it right now. And what he's saying, wisdom of Ecclesiastes of Solomon is that don't look at the right now. Look at the long term. Give God a chance to work this out. Don't try to solve it yourself. Get it done yourself. So how do we deal with anger? How do we deal? And because there's such cost with anger, I'm going to give you some words that start with C uh, so that you can remember them. The first is, is you consult. There, there's a, a strange verse back in the old King James when Nehemiah was having difficulty with people. He was getting angry. The Bible says he consulted himself. <laughs> you need to start learning to listen to how you talk to yourself. The most important conversation is the one you have with yourself. So you need to think, what am I telling myself about this event? Because whatever you tell yourself about the event is what the feeling's going to be. The, the feelings come from what you talk to yourself. And don't just listen to yourself, because that's just all the baggage, the subconscious of everything that happened growing up and all the junk. So you have to talk to yourself. That's why the Bible talks about renewing your mind every day. So you have to consult with yourself. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can just give you a thumbnail sketch of, of how it all works psychologically. You're born into this world. Hey. And it's a shock. I mean, just think about it. Before you're born, all you do is eat and float. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty good life, isn't it? I mean, that, that's why when you're getting really distressed, you assume the fetal position again. Why? Because all we'd like to go back to eat and float, you know? And I, I, what are you going to do this morning? I'm going to eat and float, you know? That's, you know? And that, that's, that's why you're happy in the swimming pool, just floating and eating, you know, floating and eating, you know? But what happens, you're born into this world, you know. That doctor slaps you on the rear, and you realize, man, you know, well, for one thing, you owe $50,000 on the national debt, and you don't even have a job, and you can't even talk, you know. Uh, uh. So it's a shock. So then, you got to get something, because you're not floating and you're not eating. So how are you going to get something? Scream and holler, scream and holler, throw a tantrum, and it shows up, right? Running around, getting stuff for you. Eat, 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 get this, you know. Uh, mad, change this diaper. It's it, still pretty good. I mean, I'm not bad. Eating, to changing it, not easy, you know. But then. They start expecting you to do all that yourself. Go sit on that thing over there. You're not changing your diaper anymore. Anybody had kids difficult toilet training? Don't want to do that. Like it the way it is. 
so from a very early age, you've re realized temper tantrums work. They work. And so if you're not careful, you just keep doing it. Now, you get a little more sophisticated, you know. You, 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 you holler at different times, you know. You get mad at different times. But you never grow up. Why? Because they get rewarded. I tell parents, first two or three temper tantrums are, your, are the kids' fault. The next ones are the parents' fault. Why? Because they got something out of it. I mean, they got, the, you know, nobody beats their head against the wall unless they get something out of it, you know. Uh, so uh, you get, starts getting rewarded. So, and if you're, so if you're not careful in your adulthood, you regress back to what worked as you were growing up. And if temper tantrums, if temper tantrums have always worked for you, then you're always going to have temper tantrums. That's the way it is. So, we have to consult with ourselves. And then we realize life's a choice. Life's a choice. Even change your language. We say things like, that made me so mad. You know, that made, she, that, that, they made me so mad. People cannot make you mad. I was reminded a while ago, a friend listened to some of our CDs about the story with the, when I, the, the kids were on a trip, and they were just, you know, being kids, and just, you know, and they were making me mad, you know. So, you know, after about seven hours of that, I said, kids, you are, just be quiet and shut up for a little bit, you're driving me crazy, you know. And my uh, oldest daughter, Angela, said, now, Dad, you know it's a choice to go crazy, we can't drive you crazy. The choice to lock you up too, but I, you know, but I, you know, I, but she was, she was just putting what I've taught her all her life, you know, that it's a choice to do that. So, and what did it say earlier in the scripture? It's a choice to overlook stuff. It's a choice to overlook stuff. Our favorite family story is a, when I should have overlooked and I didn't, you know. Uh, you know, fathers, if we're not careful, when you look back at the things you didn't overlook, you know, you wished you had. And some of you young fathers, you can learn from this story. We were at First Baptist Church Dallas, and at the time it was the largest church in the world. We'd just moved there. You don't want to make an impression with people. And, that's part of our Adam suit problem too. Don't have time to go into that. But, uh, and we're going to meet. We're going to go out to eat with some people. Going to meet at a certain place. So I told uh, everybody. I gave them the on time speech. Be on time. You know, I'm going to go out and eat today. Got new friends. Be on time. So I gave the on time speech to everybody. Everybody was on time, except my teenage daughter Angela. And you know how teenagers are. You just put in the bed normal. They wake up weird. It, it just happens. And, so five minutes late, no Angela. Ten minutes late, no Angela. Couple says, look, we'll go get the restaurant. It'll be crowded. We'll get a table. I said, thank you. Another couple said, look, we know you're near to Dallas. You can follow us to the restaurant. We'll wait. We'll wait. I said, thank you. And inside, I'm thinking, I'm going to kill her when she gets here. Embarrass me in front of my friends. Fifteen minutes later, Angela bebops up. You know, how teenagers are. Hey, Dad, how's it going? <laughs> and by then, I am what King James would call ticketh off. You know, I am. <laughs> so I said, where are you? And by the way, if you're the psychologist at the largest church in the world, you can't holler at your kids. 
So you have to develop the fine art of hollering with your mouth closed. It's like, where are you been? I've been to Sunday school. No, you have not. You're 15 minutes late. Where you been? I've, Dad, calm down. I, where you been? I'm, everybody's, where you been? I've been to Sunday school. No, you haven't. 15 minutes. Dad, calm down. I'm going to tell you. Tell me now. Dad, you know it's an all-girls class. They take, take our shoes off. They're uncomfortable. We hide them uh, so the boys can't find them. And then we put them back on. But this time, somehow the boys found them, and they hid them somewhere else. And so we had to find our shoes. It took 15 minutes. So I say what parents say. I, I call them parental stupidisms. They're things that parents say that make no sense whatsoever. But they feel good when you say them. I said, Angela, don't you ever take your shoes off again as long as you live. All parents have them. I mean, we've all said them, right? A parent will look at a kid in the tree and say, you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't you come running to me. <laughs> Every generation has them, by the way. My, my, my mom used to say this, don't go around with that stick, you'll poke your eye out. Remember that one? I, and you try to explain it to them, you can't poke your eye out, you may poke it in, but the only way to poke it out, hey, I fuck it like that. It's not the time to explain to your parents. It's not going. So I am mad. You know, I am got the joy of Jesus all over me. I am mad. So one of their girls goes with them. One of their girls goes, you know, we switch. It just helps the misery somehow. You switch kids. I don't, I don't know. Okay. You know, I, and remember, I got three daughters. So, you know, my life was very interesting anyway. Uh, when they all became teenagers, like this Christmas Eve uh, Catholic mass with all those candles, you know, everywhere candles. But uh, so I got... One of their kids, one of our kids, I'm mad, I'm following the McCulloughs, and they get there in a gray Buick, you know, so I'm going to follow them because I don't know where I'm going. I'm mad, I'm following the gray Buick. Everybody's laughing, everybody's in good mood, not me. Finally, somebody said, did the McCulloughs get a new car? Look at that car. Somebody said, that's a Cadillac. And the McCulloch kid said, did we get a Cadillac, you know? Like they traded in Sunday school or something, man. I don't know. So, uh, so I'm looking at that car now, and I think, oh man, I'm gonna. Go. And then the McCulloch kid said, "That's not my family." And then our car got totally quiet. I mean, they figured it out. Dad's following the wrong car, but Jesus, no, do not say a word. <laughs> the guy driving could kill you, you know. Uh, except for Brienne. Brienne's my youngest, so she was at that, and she's about six, you know. That, I, I call that the memorex stage. They, kids at age six don't have a normal brain. They have a memorex brain. They just repeat what they've heard at the worst possible time. <laughs> don't ever say anything in front of a kid under age eight, probably, that you don't want repeated at the worst possible time. One kid, every time he saw his grandpa, says, Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Grandpa, make a noise. Grandpa said, I'm sick of this, son. Every time you see me, you say, make a noise like a frog. Why do you do that? He said, Grandma said, when you croaked, we're going to Hawaii. And so, uh, <laughs> don't say it in front of a kid in front of age eight, I promise. Uh, so everybody's over age eight. They got quiet. Shh. 
don't say a word, quiet. Brienne's like six. She doesn't know any better. She starts laughing. <laughs> Isn't this funny? <laughs> Angela lost her shoes, but Dad, he's lost the whole car. <laughs> so I had to pull over and say, Angela, I'm sorry. I hollered at you at church. And God decided to zap me for it. And I'll try not to holler at you anymore. She said, oh, Dad, it's okay. We all make mistakes. And I thought, who's, who's the kid here? And who's the adult here? See? There's some areas in life you still got to grow up in, you see. And you got to overlook some stuff. So, overlook. The next word is count. Secular psychologists really have a it's a good idea. They say, when you start to get angry, count to 10. You probably heard that. Count to 10. Now, why do you do that? Well, it's one to get your mind off because the brain can only have one thought at a time. If you count to 10, you're not thinking about why you're, what made you mad in the first place. But it delays the emotional response. Remember, if you respond emotionally, it's going to be psycho. Okay. If you can delay it, it can get to logical. The adrenaline can calm down, the emotions can calm down, and you can actually make a sane response, a good response. So count to 10. Actually, what we're going to teach you, it's not just counting to 10. It's delaying long enough so you can count on him. See, that's the, that's the whole delay. But sometimes that, that has to work for you. Uh, then... The next C is comedy. Anger comes, and let me get, let's do these two together, control. Anger really comes when you have lost control. You want to control something you can't control. You don't, we all have that in our atom suit. We want it to go a certain way. When it doesn't go that way, that's why they say frustration causes anger. Because you get frustrated because it didn't happen the way you, you think it ought to happen. Laughter lets you know that you've let go. That you've let go. Uh, there was a uh, doctor, he, he raised uh, horses as a hobby. A friend of his came over and said, can I ride your horses? And he said, well, if you, are you a good rider? He said, I'm pretty good. I used to ride a lot as a kid, and I think it'll come back. I'll be fine. So he got him on a horse. He takes off. And the horse goes 100 yards, he throws the guy off. But not totally off, he's still got a hold of the reins. And he's just dragging this man. And the doctor's behind him hollering, let go, let go. And he's just dragging him, let go. He won't let go. He said he looked like a little rag doll, just, just bringing up. And, and finally, exhausted, he lets go. The doctor's running behind him the whole time. And he finally gets to him. Here's this guy kind of black and blue and, you know, by this horse. And... He said, I, I'm a doctor. I should have said something kind or merciful. But when I got there, I just said, why didn't you let go? <laughs> and here's this guy looking up, you know, with tears in his eyes, said, I thought I could stop him. Well, the doctor said the absurdity of that comment, of this 150-pound man stopping this 1,000 horse. I just started laughing. I couldn't help myself. And when I started laughing, he realized the absurdity. He starts laughing. Pretty soon, two grown men laying in the dirt, laughing there, tears in our eyes. We're laughing so hard about this man trying to stop that horse. And he said, while we're laughing, the horse we could not stop came back to us. 
Now that story is powerful to me because I told it at a medical convention about a week before the kids were home for Christmas. And they were all home that year. And uh, so, the, you know, even the sons-in-laws and, and, you know, what do you do with sons-in-laws? Uh, I, I had to sit one down the other day and said, I want, to I want you to watch a video of the wedding where you married my daughter. Look, right there. There's a place in the wedding where I take her hand out of my wallet and put it in yours. Look, right, right, right there. There it is. So, uh, but, so, so one family had a new dog, okay? So they, nobody's going to keep your dog for Christmas, so they brought their new dog to the house. So we had a new grand dog, you know, which is right up there with leprosy and root canals. But anyway, uh, so my, uh, my grandson, he's in charge of the dog, you know. So he says, Papa, I'm, you know, remember, I'm Papa. I didn't, my wife's Mimi. I didn't want to be PP, remember? So I'm Papa. So... Uh, he said, Papa, will you help me take the dog out? I said, what time we take the dog out? He said, 6 o'clock. I said, a.m., 6 o'clock, we get up and take the dog out? Said, yeah, that's what we got there. Said, oh, man. You know, but he's my grandson, so what do you do? You get up at 6 o'clock with a stupid dog. That's what you do. So, so we get up, we take the dog out. Well, Drew's a little ADD. I'm a little ADD. We get to play and messing around. We realize we've lost the dog. You know, we've, we've, we've lost the dog. Where, Drew, where'd the dog go? He's, I don't know. Yeah, lost the first day. We've lost a dog, you know? And then the dog darts by. Drew, Drew, Drew catch the dog. Catch the dog. You know? So Drew's chasing that dog. And, you know, he's, and the dog's one of those little, you know, fast little quick dogs. He's just playing with him. He's just laying dog talk. He's saying nanny, nanny, boo, boo, and running around. He, he can't catch the dog. And finally he's, and I'm hollering at him. I'm hollering, Drew, go this dog. And by the way, the things you can't control, you holler at other people to control, right? Especially if they're younger than you, you got a little authority. And so I'm hollering at my grandson, and then I, and then Drew finally just tackles me, and he falls down laughing. He said, "I can't catch the dog, Papa. We've lost the dog." You know? So by then I'm I'm laughing too. We're laying on the ground laughing. We lost the dog the first day, and as we're laughing, that dog comes back to us. And we go inside like we knew what we were doing the whole time. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Some of you, the only, the only reason I'm here today, you got something you've been holding on to. Like that guy holding on that horse. And it's beating you up. It's beating you up spiritually. It's beating you up psychologically. Eventually you'll get sick because the body picks up unsolved problems. And you're never going to deal with your anger until you let it go. Got to let it go. Okay, we're not, we're not going to make it. Countdown clock. Uh-oh. Okay, so communication, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. We're going to talk about relationships. The key is to convert. Convert your anger. Let that fuel that faith so you can be the person that God wants you to be. I had a, uh, I went to the University of South Carolina. Actually, I have three degrees, bachelor's, master's, PhD. And our football team, 
Uh, matter of fact, we played Clemson last night. We won the toss and elected to go home. But uh, uh, my bachelor's degree, just about to go to the bachelor's, you know, finish. I went, a couple of guys I went to high school with, I went down to their room, tell them goodbye, because I was already married and I was, you know, going on to graduate school. They were going to good jobs. And they were writing a letter. And the letter was to our high school counselor at our high school. And they had a newspaper clipping they were enclosing in the letter. And the newspaper clipping was of them being inducted in the Phi Beta Kappa, highest academic honors of our university. One made straight A's in college. One made straight A's, only made one B. And they're writing a letter to the guidance counselor saying, don't ever tell kids what you told us. You told us we could not go to college. We didn't have the ability that we needed to do something else. But don't waste any money on college. But what you told us fueled us enough that we knew God had made us in a certain way and that we could do what God wanted us to do. You see, they took somebody that said something very derogatory to them, but they used it, I call it agreeably assertive, to tell him, hey, don't do this again, but hey, you didn't have any power over me because God's the one with the power, and I just used what you said to fuel my faith to be the person that God wants me to be. You convert what this world does to you with faith, and you get God's power to use it to be the person that he created you to be. And once you understand that, then you start to live the life that God created you to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you that you're such a good God, and thank you that you're our God because of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's someone here that needs to let go of something, and they know what it is, and you know what it is. Give them the courage to let it go, to trust you. Lord, in the next few weeks, we can make many changes in our lives and our relationships to be the people you want us to be. Even now, encourage your people to get motivated, to decide, this is the week I make the changes to become the person that you created me to be. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.